Well, good evening, everyone. Um, Again, my name is Steve Carter, and man, it's such an honor to be with you this week. Um, There's so much that I feel like God has done here at Mount Hermon. Um, I've been a pastor in Southern California. Uh, Most recently was a pastor in Chicagoland for about seven years. Um, But oftentimes I'll I'll come across people and I'll see like a family, um, just a legacy of faith. And I'll ask them, I'll just say, hey, uh, where, where, where did this begin? And a lot of times people will come back and say, it, it was a camp like this, a family week here at Mount Hermon. And just, uh, just giving a week to dive into God's word, to pour into your kids and grandkids. I mean, um, you don't know kind of the, it's like, a, it's like a mutual fund. You are investing. And I just, I just have so much um, thankfulness that you're, putting this level of intentionality, not only into your relationship with God, but into your marriage, into your relationship with your kids. And um, just well done, well done. Um, I, I want to begin f- with looking at the book of Psalms. I love the book of Psalms because it's, it's just so human. It, you have s- sometimes people praying and worshiping in, in the ways that they write. And, 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 and there are these moments in Psalms, if you've been in it recently, where you're like, can you really say that as a prayer? I mean, sometimes David's like kind of praying in a psalm, and he'll be like, God, I can't stand my enemies. Like, please, take a rock to their skull. Blessed be the name of your Lord. Like, like, you're just like there are these moments where you're just like, I don't know if you can say that. And then it's always like, better is one day in your courts, man. And, and, and it's so honest. It's so human. It's so real. And the last verse... In the entire book of Psalms, Psalms 150 verse 6 says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. I love this word praise the Lord because in Hebrew it's the word hallelujah. We just sang about this. Hallelujah. And I I had a buddy, uh, he's in his 60s, his name's Tom Horton. Everywhere he goes, he wears a brown leather jacket. He's got a mustache that makes Tom Selleck jealous, good head of hair. And four times a week, he's going to prisons to visit prisoners. He and his wife, they've just done this, and, and they are passionate and he'd be emailing me like, Carter, you got to come join us. Come join us. And I'm like, man, I will. And finally, he just threw out the Matthew 25 card. He's like, Jesus said, you got to go visit prisoners. And I'm like, okay, I'm going. I will go. And so I jump in the car. I'm like, hey, so what do I need to know? I've never been to prison before. And he just said, oh, you just got to be yourself. I said, okay, I can do that. Awesome. And he just said, just, just look these men in the eye. I'm like, totally, we can do that. Just be honest and be like Jesus for them, for sure. But please, just be yourself. Don't be weird. I'm like, okay, Tom, I got it. So we show up to, to prison. We go, you know, we get wanded. We go through security. And then we're walking. And we're in the most difficult prison in the state of Illinois. And I'm just walking, and Tom's just walking, strong mustache, leather jacket. He's just walking. We're getting closer to where all of the cell blocks are. And then Tom starts screaming, Louia, Louia. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like, we're, we're in prison. You said be yourself. And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, what are you yelling? Louia, Louia. And I'm like, dude, bro, calm down. Like, we are in prison. Be yourself. You gave me this instruction. And he looks at me and goes, this is my call sign. 
I'm like, what are you talking about? He goes, Luya. It's short for hallelujah. And in prison, many of these men, their families, have just taken off. They stopped coming. This is a really, really dark place. And I want them to know, I have come. I will come again. And when I come, I'm here to praise the Lord. So is that okay with you, Steve, that I'm going to lift up a Luya? And I'm like, sure. And he goes, because what the scriptures say is with every breath, we ought to lift up a hallelujah. And I was like, do it. And he screams it out again. And I kid you not, there was like a chorus of hallelujahs that were being said back from these prisoners because they knew their friend, their pastor, Tom, was there. He'd come back. And I've just been thinking a lot about this. Man, in every situation, we are invited, we are called. We even heard Renee talk about it today to lift up Alleluia. But it gets kind of difficult, doesn't it? It's really, really difficult. For some of us, this has been a really, really hard year. The kind of hard year that just goes, man, like, can I actually be someone who still gives praise when it doesn't work out? It's been amazing to me because I've been thinking, thinking about this one word, breath. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. A scientist will tell us that um, on majority of humans, we, we inhale and exhale 18 times per minute. You do that by 60 minutes, and that's 1,080 breaths. You do that for one day, that's 25,960 breaths per day, inhale, exhale. You do that for one year, that's 9.4 million breaths. I went to college. And then if you do that and you have the privilege to live up to the year 80, that's 756 million breaths, opportunities, moments for you to lift up a Luya. On April 5th, 2008, it was a really, really difficult pregnancy. I mean, most of the guys know um, pregnancy's hard work. I mean, it's just so, so hard. And, and, and we're in, like, the delivery room. We've made a CD. The jello's not great. Like, it's just, it's just a hard day. And so we're working on our breathing. And, and my wife, um, man, she's so strong. And she, um, for our son, the cord had wrapped around his neck twice. And it got really really, really scary. And so they're like turning her. And, and I, I, I'm realizing, because I, I, I know people, and I can tell when the doctor's going like this and getting the nurses in the side, like going, hey, we, we got to like rush this thing. I'm realizing like, oh, this isn't, this isn't good. And there's this crazy moment where they end up kind of just turning her. They don't know if they're going to have to do an emergency C-section, but like, thanks be to God, like they're able to deliver this child and, 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 and they just end up putting this thing over his mouth and you, you've all seen it. And it just like, it's like a vacuum and it sucks out all the stuff in his throat and they're hoping that he'll be able to take his breath, his first breath, and he does. And they clean him up and then the nurse just hands him to me and goes, here you go, dad. And just the first breath. And it's just so fragile. And it's so scary. And then from this point on, I'm given a title that I don't deserve. And I'll spend the rest of my life living into. But my job is to help this child lift up a Luya. This is a picture of my dad. We're huge Michigan fans. I'm sorry um, if that's any of you. Well, that's a, that's a closed-in picture of my chimple right there. Uh, <laughs> So fantastic, but this is the real person I want you to see. Um, I love this man um, because uh, he, he, uh, he, he adopted me. 
Um, I, I, was, I was born in 79. My biological father left pretty early. Uh, my mom remarried. My name that was given to me was Stephen Charles Bourne. And on July 2nd, 35 years ago, 1984, I went to a Malibu courthouse. And this judge was asking me all these questions. And, and there Joel is, my new dad. And he's, he's there. And the judge goes, okay, your name was Stephen Charles Bourne. Charles was your old dad's name. Like, do you want a new middle name? And I was like, yeah, I do. I had been told I get a new middle name. And I could pick any middle name I wanted. And this was fantastic. And so uh, I didn't tell my mom. I didn't tell my new dad. I didn't tell anybody. And the judge says, so what do you want your middle name to be? And I said, Poncharella. And... Uh, <laughs> And uh, my mom was like, uh, no, no, um, it'll be Ryan. I don't want him to get beat up in junior high. Um, but it was amazing. I left, this, I left this day 35 years ago, last week. I left this courthouse in Malibu with a new dad, with a new last name, with a middle name I didn't want. Um, but but it, was all, it was all new. And um, 12 years ago, um, my dad went into... Um, the doctors, and he thought he had mono, and I was doing youth ministry in Michigan, and I got a phone call, and he said, I don't think it's mono, um, it's actually leukemia, they think, and um, for the last, last 12 years, um, the guy's just battled, and maybe 18 months, two years after getting diagnosed with leukemia, they uh, realized um, the only way to save him was through a bone marrow transplant, and some woman that I've never met in Europe, ended up going through one of the most painful procedures to give him like her, a piece of her own bone marrow and basically extended his life 10 years. Um, and then less than three months ago, I rushed from Phoenix back to Grand Rapids um, to be beside him at hospice. And I watched him take his last breath. It's just never easy, is it? And this guy was um, my biggest advocate, my biggest champion, someone who took me as his own. And I, I watched for 12 years his body fail, but I never st watched him stop lifting up Alleluia. And I, I, just, I just come here and I, I, I'm been so moved by this idea of breath, watching and thinking of my son taking his first, as scary as that was, watching my dad take his last and realizing we have been given the gift of breath. And the question becomes, how will we spend it? Can I tell you some other fascinating things about breath? It's pretty amazing. Uh, I, I love science because I believe science is one of God's greatest props to prove that he is just the greatest creative person uh, being ever. Um, but in the 17th century, there was a Dutch scientist by the name, by the name of Zans Ingsenhaus. It's a real dude. This is a picture of him. Um, but he, he brought a, a plant inside. And, and you got to understand, like the, the elementary understanding back then was like if it had good roots, if it had water, plants would grow. He brings it inside and he realized it dies. I remember when I was a kid, my parents, every springtime in Southern California, they would take me to a nursery, which I always thought was so weird because they didn't sell kids. It was like a, where they sold plants. But I could choose any plant that I wanted. And I remember, like, 
I had a dream. I had a vision. I couldn't stand that Girl Scouts only sold Thin Mints for like two weeks out of the year. But like, I, I wanted something that like, man, like we could like sell all the time. And my idea was non-alcoholic strawberry virgin daiquiris. And so I was going to turn our backyard into like the strawberry fields Beatles reference forever, but like I was gonna like grow all of these these strawberries and then I was gonna make them and, and take down lemonade stands and, and the Girl Scouts. This was my idea. And so I go to the nursery, I share my dad this vision. He's a business guy, he's like, I love it, I love it, let's do it. And so I buy like one plant and I bring it inside and it's it's just fantastic. And, I, and my dad's like, hey, I wouldn't bring it inside. I'm like, you don't understand. I'm going to water it. I'm going to take it upstairs. It's going to be fantastic. And so I bring it upstairs to my room. I'm watering it. It's just, it's amazing. I'm watching it for a good seven minutes till my ADD kicks in. And I'm like, this is boring. And I leave. <laughs> and it's super hot that day. And, and then um, I come back after playing basketball and skating with some of my friends. And I come back and the one or two like perfectly red strawberries now are a little bit brown and wilted. And I bring it down. I look at my dad, I'm like, man, what happened? And he's like, you already got a file, chapter 11. This isn't good, man. And I'm like, you are a dream killer. You are a dream killer. But he's like, you don't know about photosynthesis. And I'm like, no, I don't. I'm eight. Um, And so uh, he began to tell me this. And and I'm going to take you all back to 10th grade biology class. There's no number two pencil. There's no Scantron. There's no test. So don't break out in hives. But I I want you to see something. Because Zahn's Ingsenhaus realized something. He realized that there is more going on that we can't see. And many of you know this, but for photosynthesis to work, you, you, you need good soil, you need water, you need roots, you need plants, you need a sun, and we need humanity. And so this is what happens. You got a sun, and it gives off light. You got a sun, gives off light, and that light is an energy. I got dance moves. Sun gives off light, light is an energy. Here's what happened the leaves capture that energy. Got a sun, gives off light, light's an energy, leaves capture that energy. But what does that energy do? Now, what's the scientific name for water is what? Ooh, there's some high-quality H2O. Well done. Okay, so H2O, two atoms of hydrogen, one atom of oxygen. So this is what happens. The energy breaks up the two atoms of hydrogen, releases the oxygen so that we all can breathe. Thank you, plant. Now, when we exhale, we give off carbon dioxide. Our carbon dioxide mixes with those two atoms of hydrogen, creates a sugary substance called glucose that feeds the plant. And you're all sitting here going, why does that matter? I'll tell you. Because none of you woke up this morning, and when you were asked, what are you doing today, none of you said, I'm bringing my A-game to breathing. None of you walked by any of the trees and foliage and were like this, there you go, buddy. (laughs) So fresh and so green, green. None of you did that. But I want you to understand something. God has hardwired you, whether you know it or not, to be someone who gives life. By just breathing, You are someone who gives life. Passively partnering with God to bring life. This is how he wired you. Let's take it even farther. The most holy sacred name to the Hebrew people is the word Yahweh. If you go to a Jewish synagogue, an Orthodox synagogue, they don't say it. And if some kid says it, all of them go like this. It is this sense of reverence. They have names that they refer to God so they don't have to use the word Yahweh. 
They'll use a word like Hashem. And you know what Hashem means? It means the name. So they'll talk about the name, which is Yahweh, and not say Yahweh. They'll just say Hashem or Elohim or Adonai. They have all of these names so that they don't have to say the one name that is above every other name. And this is what that name looks like in Hebrew. Now, Hebrew is made up of 22 letters. There's no vowels. And Hebrew, 19 of those letters have phonetic sound like ah, beh, keh. There are three letters that don't have any sound. And those three letters are Yod, He, and Vav. Now, the name Yahweh is made up of three letters, Yod, He, and Vav, and then He again. And what's incredible is that you have this sense for thousands of years, rabbis, teachers, poets, They've wrestled, why would God give himself a name that has no phonetic sound? And then they began to realize, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, oh my goodness. It's the sound of breathing. Actually, every time you breathe, you pronounce a letter that makes up the holy name. And this is how the Jewish people understand it, that every time you breathe, you are saying a letter. And you could be sitting with someone and they're like, there's no such thing as God. And you're like, that's funny, he just breathes his name. <laughs> you might be in one breath breathing the name of God and also slandering your neighbor. You might be with one breath breathing out the name of God and gossiping about another. It's crazy, isn't it? Do you understand this, that God has hardwired you, whether you know it or not, to be someone who gives praise? Let everything that has breath lift up alleluia. And here's the thing, even if you can't, he made you to breathe his name anyway. And I want you to understand this. God has hardwired you to be someone who gives life and gives praise. And no matter how many of your 756 million breaths you still have left, the command, the verse, the word, the challenge, the invitation is the same. Lift up alleluia. Lift up alleluia. Now, I want to take this word breath, and I want to take you to some other stories in Scripture. And I could start in Genesis 1. I could talk about how breath and spirit and wind are the same word. I could take you to Ezekiel. But I'm not going to do that. I want to just spend a couple of moments looking at two passages from the New Testament. Because sometimes I think we miss it. We sometimes get it wrong. We sometimes just go through our day and we're unaware of just the gift of breath, the purpose of breath, and what we're called to do with our breath. I, I miss it, too. I, I remember when I was in college, a buddy of mine said, hey, uh, do you want to run? And I said, no. Who likes to run, you know? And he's like, no, 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 you don't understand. My family, we run a 5K. It's incredible. Uh, we run it as a family. Our whole town comes out. And then after it, we go get a, a, a free steak. My parents pay for it. And I was like, free steak. I might run for that. And so I, I say yes. Two weeks later, I drive down to his city. And, and we're all, I, like, I pull in. 
I find a parking spot. I walk. I see them. I meet his parents. I was just kind of stretching. I, I should have known I was in the wrong place because there were a lot of short shorts and shoe companies that I didn't know how to pronounce, like Saucony or something. And, and so I see like some porta potties over here. And so I, I walk over, use the porta potty, and I come out and I can't find my friend. I can't find the family, but I'm being herded to the starting line. And I've never run a race before. And, and all of a sudden I hear over the speakers, all right, runners, five, four, three, two, one, go. And I'm like, all right, whatever. And so I'm just running. And I'm, I'm like, feel like I've been running a long time. And I'm not really having a great time because there's a guy who's probably 85 in front of me having the time of his life, and he's beating me, and I don't like it. And so I finally, I'm like, I look at him, and I'm like, man, I feel like we've been running a long time. How much longer do we have to go? And he's peppy and happy. This makes me bitter. And he goes like, he looks at his watch and goes, oh, brother, we just hit the five-mile mark, 8.1 to go. And my response is, I thought this was a 5K. And he goes, you're in the wrong race, dude. <laughs> and I'm like, you're in the wrong race, dude. I know that now because I can't feel my thighs. <laughs> and this guy like ends up just still beating me. I must have looked so bad because some random woman came up to me and she's like, would you like a peanut butter sandwich? which it was very bizarre and strange, and I was very thankful, and I took it, and I ate it. And I get to the finish line, and as I'm getting to the finish line, there's my friend, there's my buddy, and he's looking at me with that smirk on his face, and I cross the line, barely, and he looks at me and goes, dude, you ran the wrong race. Yeah, I, I know I did, I know. Just get away, because I'm sitting up here about you. And uh, I, I wake up the next morning, I didn't even enjoy the steak, and. Any of you who have run, you know like after a, a long run, it's, it's, it's hard to walk forward. And so I get out of bed and I'm like, I can't even walk forward. I'm like just doing like the poor man's moonwalk. Like it's so bad. And I, 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 I like grab my Bible and I, I remember like I, I played Delirious, like Obsession, still the greatest worship song of all time. And like I'm like, I'm like just, I'm just like journaling. And I, it's probably because I had no adrenals or cortisol or salt in my body, but I just start like writing and I, and I felt as if God like just gave me this word about how I was choosing to live my life. And, and he just took this one phrase that this older gentleman said to me and that my buddy with a smirk said to me, and he just began to like kind of speak it into my life. You're running the wrong race. And I don't know where you are today. I don't know if you're just kind of going through the motions and you're thinking, man, I'm just running a great 5K. I just run on a great fight. And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if you understand like, that you have been hardwired to be someone who gives life and gives praise. And some of us have just become so accustomed to just passively partnering with Jesus, but not actually choosing to join in as his disciples and say, man, with my one and only life and with every single breath that I have, I want to be someone who lifts up a no matter what. And it's not always easy. It's not been easy for me this past year. But every day, every choice, every chance is an invitation. And so what I want to do is I want to look at two stories. And I think if you see these two stories, I think they'll help us make sure that we run the right race. And with our one and only life, when we get to the end, and we'll be able to say, man, we, we maximized. There's no wasted breaths. We gave praise. We gave life. We gave honor with our one and only life. So if you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 20. I'll read for a second, and then the rest of it will be up on the screen. John 20. And this is a, this is a story um, when Jesus returns, like, post-Easter. 
In verse 19, chapter 20, fourth gospel says this, on the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands inside. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, verse 21, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That's a powerful passage. Twice Jesus says to these disciples who are in fear, locked in a room, Jesus just appears and he goes, peace, or like shalom, wholeness, heaven invading earth be with you. Breathe. And then, and then he, like, he kind of says, as the Father is sending me, I'm sending you. And then he says, receive the Holy Spirit, and then he challenges them to forgive. All the while, after he says the first two, he does something so bizarre, he walks up to them with resurrection breath and breathes on them. <sighs> Which I think as we read this, you go, why would you do that? And it brings you back to the book of Genesis when you have God like as an artist, he's in the dirt and he's shaping and he's forming the first man. And what does it say he does? He breathes into their nostrils and they become this human being. But now Jesus is doing this with his disciples. And I think he's going, no, 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 you're no longer just a human being. You are a spiritual being. You are like a temple. You have like the spirit of God. See, in the Old Testament, the spirit was just for like specific people at a specific time for a specific purpose, but the spirit was gonna come and it was gonna be available to all who call Christ Lord. And so he says these four words, peace, mission, spirit, forgive. And the sense of just breath, like this, this is like his words post-resurrection, like we as the Easter people living in a Good Friday world, this is kind of our command, peace, mission, spirit, forgive. I, I've been thinking a lot, and I actually was going to do this message on Wednesday, but then hearing Renee's talk about anxiety, I was like, man, this, this, I just loved learning today from him, and I thought, maybe I'll just move this to the, tonight, um, because I think it just, it, I was wanting to do one part on anxiety, and, and this word peace is just beautiful to me. To the Hebrew mindset, it was like, when you actually could be one, you could rest in God's presence. Heaven had invaded earth. Everything was being put to rights. But here's the crazy part about anxiety, is anxiety turns our peace into pieces. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves fractured, splintered, confused, overwhelmed. And I remember having a conversation with my college professor and, and he really, really helped me with this because I was, I was kind of, I didn't have language for anxiety. I just, I, I called it stress in the late 90s. I didn't, I didn't know what it was, but I just started asking him about it. And, and this guy was named Dr. Nofel Staten. And, and I don't know if any of you went to Pacific Christian College or Hope International University, um, but he was an amazing professor. Cowboy boots. He looked like Kenny Rogers. I mean, he was just the man. And he, he taught Greek. But he, he, before he was a professor and pastor, he ran the air traffic control tower at O'Hare Airport in Chicago. 
And so he looks at me one day and I'm telling him the story. I'm asking him these questions about like, you know, just about stress and pressure. And, and, and he just looks at me and goes, you want to know what real power is? I said, yeah, man, what's real power? He goes, running the air traffic control tower at O'Hare Airport. I'll tell you what real power is. It's telling United Airlines they can't land here. And you know what real power is? Rerouting Delta to Milwaukee. And I'm like, that's what happened. Like, that's real power. It's telling a, a pilot, you can't take off. That's power. And he goes, you know you have that same level of power of what you let land in your brain and in your heart. And I'm like, what? And all of a sudden, I begin to realize, and so this is, I live in Phoenix now, and this is uh, Sky Harbor, but this is the air traffic control tower. And I've been thinking a lot about this. When I think about the peace of God, and every day we have all of these thoughts, you're not enough. You're not good. Man, you messed up. Your kids are going to be a, just a train wreck. And all of these thoughts just l trying to land in your brain and in your heart. And after talking to Dr. Nofel Staten, he said, just reroute them. And so here's what I do. When all of these thoughts come, since I'm a Michigan fan, and they start coming to me, you know what I do? I reroute them to Columbus, Ohio. I'm like, you, you go to Columbus. Oh, yeah, you, you go hang out with Nick Saban in Tuscaloosa. Like, you, all that negativity, I'm sending somewhere else. And you, and you got to understand, like, this is, this is, like, straight from God's word. Peter will say, cast all of your anxiety on the one who cares for you. And there are some times when thoughts just want to, like, hold your life in check or want you to become a, like just a fraction of who you were meant to be. And the invitation is to send them to the foot of the cross. And I do this all of the time. There are so many moments throughout a day, some days more so than others, where I'm like, ooh, Tuscaloosa, Madison, Wisconsin, College Station, Pennsylvania, Tuscaloosa, foot of the cross. I just do it. All of Michigan's rivals, I just do it. You know what I mean? Feel free. If you're a USC fan, send it to Westwood. You know, just, get, just do that, all right? Don't worry about them. UCLA's in trouble. So, like, just, 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 just get rid of that because here's the truth. Nothing should affect your peace. And again, I just remember Jesus just breathing and the thing that he kept saying to his disciples twice, peace, shalom be with you. And as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. Know your mission, receive the spirit, and then lastly, be people who forgive. And this is, this is what sets us apart as Christ's followers is that we ought to be people who forgive. But somehow we sometimes miss it, it's like the wrong race. Or like when I was, um, I happened to be in um, Palestine uh, a number of years ago, and I don't know if you travel often, but whenever I travel, I want something that reminds me of home. And I was in this city called Ramallah. It's beautiful, and I'm walking. We are doing some peacemaking work, and as I'm walking in Ramallah, I look out and I see, I see something that looks familiar. I see the color green. I see the font. It smells something like familiar. And as I get close to it, I'm like, oh my goodness, it's Starbucks in Ramallah, but it wasn't. It was this, stars and bucks. <laughs> no joke. And I will tell you, it had this similar font. It had the same color green. It had similar cup. But the truth is, it tasted nothing like Starbucks. 
And, and, and all of a sudden, I started thinking about this. I go into my journal, I start writing about it, because I'm like, if Howard Schultz knew this, and this was happening in Columbus, Ohio, which it probably would, they'd probably steal an idea or steal a recruit, but it's okay, that's another story. But like, here's the thing, like, if this were to happen there, there would be a cease and desist letter. Howard Schultz would say, stop using our color, stop using our font, stop pretending to be us, you are infringing on our brand. And then I just felt like in the weirdest way, I just started writing, I'm like, man, like, how often as an image bearer of God, as someone who has received the spirit of Jesus, as someone who, man, says yes to a rabbi from Nazareth as his Lord and Savior, and yet there are times when I don't want to forgive, I'm like, am I stars and bucks? <laughs> like, I look, I sound, I use good seven-syllable words like sanctification, like I, I, but really at the end of the day, am I willing to forgive? And again, all I'm just trying to push on you is to see what Jesus is asking of the first early Christians to say, this is the way in which we're gonna live, filled with peace, on mission, receiving the Spirit, and we're gonna be people who forgive. It's beautiful. Let's go to the next passage with this word breath. Let's go to Paul and Timothy. Uh, I, I love I love story of Paul and Timothy. It's just unbelievable. Um, we'll look at 2 Timothy. And Timothy's the most unlikely disciple. It's just incredible, incredible. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, it says this, verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Now, I know many of you know this passage. Some of your translations might say, all scripture is God-inspired, or every word of the Bible is the inspired word of God. Inspired is really this idea where we get the word breath. So like, think about this. Just, just think about this for a, for a second, that the scriptures, all 66 books, the way that the first church understood it was that this was like God's exhale. And like we receive this, and when we receive the words in the breath of God, it actually does something inside of us. It brings life, just like God breathed into the nostrils, just like Jesus breathed on those first disciples. The same word of God has the power to do something in us, which forces us to ask the question, how often do we allow this book to shape and form us? See, some of us, some of us, at times, we can find ourselves standing over the text, and we want the text to make sense of our life. And in a way, we want the text to affirm what we feel or affirm what we hope or affirm something. But the true beauty of how the first church was called to live was to live under the text. In the sense of like the Jewish like discipleship method was that the word of God, you would live under the authority of it, live under it, believing that it would actually protect you and help you and guide you and shape you and form you. And, and the questions I love to, to think about, because when I study a text, 
for a message, I'm asking questions of the text. But when I have a moment, and I try to do this every day, when I'm studying the scriptures for my soul, you know what I do? Or I'm contemplating or meditating on the word of God? You know what I try to do? Is I give the text permission to ask questions of me. And how am I living in alignment or how am I just a little bit off? How does my font and the color and the cup look the same, but really the taste is so much different? How does it look like I'm running the right race, but really this book wants to help you and go, no, 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 stop running a half marathon. You don't need to run that. Run this race. And so the four words that I think about are just so powerful that the scriptures will say that here's what God's exhale, God's breath into your life will do. It wants to teach you. It wants to rebuke you. It wants to correct you and it wants to train you. And I think many of us would say, I love the Bible. It's awesome. My question is, when's the last time it taught you something? Or when's the last time it actually rebuked you? And rebuke is a beautiful word. I think we sometimes think of like scary, like just, that's, it's not the intent. The rebuke is like protecting you from train wrecking and sabotaging your life. We, we do this with our kids. This is how God wants to interact with us, and this becomes that tool. Or how does he correct us? Or how does he train us? I, I remember I was thinking a lot about just time management. You know, we all have 168 hours per week. And, and I was doing this interview with um, Simone Biles, and I, I was talking with Simone, and, 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 and she was fantastic, and um, I said, hey, would you mind like coming to our junior high students? I, I just, I'd love for them just to see you. I think you'd encourage them. And she's like, great. And then like her people came and were like, hey, Steve, she's got to catch a flight. So she has five minutes, five minutes. I was like, totally, totally. It'll just be a quick wave, get her on a, a car, get her to O'Hare, and we'll get her on a plane. Perfect. So she walks up there. And she's on stage, and she's waving. Junior high kids are going crazy. She's praying for them. She's talking to just a few moments about Jesus, when all of a sudden, the most adorable seventh grade girl is in the second row, and she's standing up with a bag of medals. Her name is Jess. She has Down syndrome, and she's standing, and she's yelling, Simone, I got medals too. And, I, and I'm like right here, and I, I've locked in, and I'm like already just a puddle. And I'm like, Simone, greatest Olympic gymnast. I mean, she dances with stars, loves Jesus. She's a big deal. She's probably just going to big time this kid. And I, I'm like in my mind just like, God, please. And all of a sudden, like, I see Simone just pan the room, and then locks eyes with this girl. And she goes, I see them. And she comes down the stage, and she sits with this girl, and they start looking at these medals. And, she, and I'm sitting here, then I'm like, oh, you missed your flight. Oh, no, I'm going to get in trouble. Oh, no, Dances with Stars is going to call me. No, they're not. Like, this, this is going to, and, and I'm just sitting here, and I'm just watching this. And you know what? Like, that week, I had been studying I'd been studying the life of Jesus and how Jesus would stop to be with kids. And all of a sudden, I saw this example of someone who was so, in the world's eyes, important, but it wasn't more important. 
And then I said, the first thing I said to her was like, I'm sorry, you probably missed your flight. And she goes, I don't care. That's what it's about. That's what it's about. And friends, this has always ever only been about people. And this book ought to lead us into more relationships with people so that we can showcase what it means to give life and give praise. But here's the thing I've realized. I've realized that one of the most difficult pieces for us to actually do this well is that it requires humility. There's something that's really, really important for us as Christ followers. If we're gonna choose to live like this, means that we have to live with humility. We have to almost like put on the sense of humility and say, man, I wanna just follow you follow your ways. I want to read this last passage, and it's from 1 Peter chapter 5. And it simply says this, All of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, because God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. I just love this, is that here's the story of God. God's like, all of you, humble yourselves. This is our responsibility. And trusting that just what God did with Jesus lifted him up, that he will lift you up in due time. And I remember when I was in college, I needed a haircut. And so I went to Supercuts, too long of a line. Went to Great Clips, too long of a line. And then I remembered, I remembered that there was a salon in downtown Fullerton. I'd never been to a salon before. I'd been to a saloon, but never a salon. And so I walk into this like salon and I'm like, hey, do you guys do walk-ins? And the guy goes, it's gonna be $30, $19.99. I'm like, yeah, that's a lot of money, but I can pay. He goes, $30. I'm like, totally. He goes, okay, I can fit you in, but you gotta fill this out. I said, I'm not looking for a job. He goes, no, no, no. We just want our stylist to know how to communicate and what to talk to you about. So just fill this out. And I'm like, California is so bizarre. And so like I, like, I fill it out, random 1980s like sitcom trivia, and I, I turn it in, and I wait. And then all of a sudden, someone from the, the Holy of Holies in the back comes out, calls me by name, and they get super excited. Stephen Carter, I get up. I walk up. She puts out her hand, shakes my hand. She goes, here's what we're going to do. I am going to wash your hair. I'm, Thank you. I'm going to cut your hair. Fantastic. I'm going to style your hair. You're going to be good to go. I'm like, this, this is amazing. She says, all you need to do is go in this room, and you just need to put on a schmock. I said, a what? A schmock. I'm like, what are, you, what are you talking about? A schmock. All you need to do is like, there will be one black schmock hanging up, and you just put that on. You come out. I'm going to wash your hair. I'm going to cut your hair. I'm going to style your hair. You're going to be good to go. I said, fantastic. I walk in there, and there it is, one black schmock. And so I, 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 I take my shirt off. I put it on, and it's very, very tight. And the buttons are on the opposite side. And I can only button to right here. And so like nine chest hairs are out. And the spirit of like, like Tommy boy comes over me. And I'm like, this has been such a bougie place. And so I'm going to, I'm like, I'm going to make her laugh. And so I just open it up and I'm like, fat man in a small man schmock. And I'm just like dancing. And she's looking at me and her eyes are so big, but she's not saying, I'm like, I'm going to break you. I'm going to break you. And I'm just like going for it. And then I scan over here and like the most adorable 60, 70 year old woman with curlers in her hair, looking at me through a mirror, turns her chair and goes, what is this young man doing wearing my shirt? (laughs) See, here's, here's, Here's what I learned. There, 
there are times when you get humbled and, and it's terrible. And, but here's what I do know is this verse says and calls every one of us as a Christ follower to choose to humble ourselves. And when you choose to humble yourselves and you allow God's breath to work in you, to train you, teach you, correct you, rebuke you, something profound happens within you. And you become not just people who go through life passively giving life and giving praise, but with your one and only life and with all of the breath that you have been given, which is a gift, you choose to be people of peace, people on mission, people who have the spirit, and people who choose to forgive. Let's pray. God, thank you for what you are doing. I pray, I pray that what we heard this morning from Renee, that we would just even open up tomorrow and just, just write down those five things that we are so grateful for. Let us just fight for this peace. Let us be people who don't just go through life just passively giving praise and giving life, but with our, with our words, Let's speak into our kids and grandkids and our spouses this week. Let us receive from your word this week. Let it do something in our hearts that shape us and form us. And where there might be pride, we know pride comes before the fall, but according to the kingdom and according to the scriptures, humility comes before the honor. And we know that we want to be people who just humble ourselves, live into your text, choosing to believe, knowing, trusting that the best is yet to come. So bless this time. We pray all this your name and everyone said, amen. Here's Jamie.